Hello, everyone. Thank you again for joining Dorsey Ross on this episode of The Dorsey Ross Show. In this episode, Dorsey interviews another special guest that will give you hope and inspire you. Hello, everyone. Thank you again for joining me on another episode of The Dorsey Ross Show. Today, we have a special guest with us. His name is Joshua Capella, and he is what you would call a power pastor, which means he goes around to different places sharing the Word of God, and his church ordained him at the age of 35 years old, and he is currently acquiring his master's degree in divinity, and his goal is to advance to his PhD when his heart is compassionate towards the homeless, orphans, widows, and elderly, and he knows that the Word of God is inerrant, infallible, and God's revelation to men. He is married to his wife, Tiffany, and he has a son named Xavier and a daughter named Elian, if I pronounced that correctly. And Joshua, thank you for well, thank coming you, on Dorothy, the show today. Well, thank you, having me here, and it's highly appreciated, and it's an honor to be on your show and just have a general conversation about Scripture, about the ministry, what God's done in my life, what's he, what he's done in your life, and it's just highly appreciated. So thank you for having me here. Yeah, definitely. So tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, a little bit more detail and, you know, how you grew up and how you came to believe in Well, you know, Dorsey, that was a real fascinating story. And I've had quite a few people ask me that story. And probably my conversion happened, you know, probably different than a lot of people and maybe the same as some individuals. I grew up with a pretty rough life, pretty rough childhood a child of divorce. My father was never really there. So I grew up in a single household with a mother trying to raise three boys. And so my father moved down the street and he got remarried and married a married and had another family. And we really never knew him. And even though he was about five or six miles away. So I was this child with a stirred up spirit and I wasn't raised in a Christian household. And I never heard the word of God. It just was non-existent in my life, in my family, and in my environment. And so as far as I can remember back, as I can recall, I was a child and I was watching a TV episode. And as I can recollect my thoughts, there was a man talking about the love of Jesus Christ, talking about the power of God. And I had this vacuum in my soul as a child, eight years old. And as I'm watching, it's the only way I can describe it. uh, It was a long journey in the process of becoming ordained, but God regenerated me. He found me where I was at. Um, And I know a lot of people have their viewpoint on, you know, can I respond to God's call or does he find me? But I can tell you as a child, in my particular instance, he found me where I was at. And he spoke into my soul with such a gentle whisper of love. That's when the process and the journey started. And I remember asking someone to take me to church in my family, particularly who I can't really remember. And the response was, I really don't have the time. So as a child, I jumped on a bus, rode to the closest church, heard the word of God, and that's where my journey started. Wow. That's, you know, 
going to think that that's going to be pretty, you know, remarkable, especially, you know, growing up in a non-Christian home. You know, normally kids, unless they're asked or invited to go to church, normally kids don't just go up and say, hey, I'm going to go to wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to go to church. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, so it's like, Josh, what is the... Uh, uh, you know, proof of the existence of God. And I said, well, well, obviously in my personal life, me, what he did for me, he transformed me. And, you know, Dorsey, the story goes like it wasn't an easy road after that. It was a very difficult, challenging road with many, uh, in my own way, a lot of emotional suffering, a lot of letdowns and a lot of brokenheartedness. And, you know, between me, you and the audience here sitting down just to closing, you know, disclosing my life and being vulnerable, which, you know, God wants us to do is when I was a young teenager, I still had a lot of questions and I, I went off into a bad path. I was hanging around gang members. Uh, I got caught up in drugs and alcoholism. And, you know, to be frank, uh, I was probably 13 years old doing heavy narcotics uh, because even though God spoke to me and he came to me and I accepted the gift I was a child and I was still a product of my environment and I grew up in that situation and I still didn't know where to go in that environment. So I ended up in some bad places, but I knew God was there and the story gets even more interesting after that, <laughs> believe it or not. So, you know, somebody might say, well, hey, you know, I'm ordaining Pastor Joshua. You know, how is that possible? You know, how is that possible? You did that. You heard his word. You ended up in that position. Well, I know why now. Because I can minister to people in that environment, in gangs and drugs, and tell them that God loves them and he has a purpose for them and a place for them, and they find me relevant. And so I've come through a very broken background, and I wouldn't change it for the world. you know. And when I was growing up at first, Dorsey, I, you know, I had contempt for my father, and I lost probably 10 to 15 years of my life trapped in anger. And I would hear this. Jesus saying, forgive, you know, seven times seven, 70 times seven. And I heard a lot, a lot of these things playing back in my mind. And I would say, well, what, you know, I, what does that mean? What does that mean for me in my personal life, Lord? You know? And so as a young man, I continued to go to church and I found some really strong men in church, some good, godly, strong men. And, you know, a lot of people think, man, I'm going to go to church and there's going to be a bunch of wimps around, right? These can't be real men, Dorsey, right? There was military men. There was Navy SEALs, retired Navy SEALs, big, strong men. I mean, uh, you know, drill sergeants. I mean, you know, and they, they saw me without a father and they said, come, we'll father you. And then that was the start to me understanding what a father is. God is the ultimate father, but they were a reflection of God's holy grace, his holiness in the sense of, showing me what God was like in my personal life. So my journey even got deeper. You know, and Dorsey, as I was growing up, I've lost a huge part of my 20s having resentment towards my father. And I would sit there and hold Bible studies. And a lot of elders would say, you got a lot of head knowledge, Joshua, but it's not seeping into your heart. Whatever is there, you got to give it to God. And, you know, we hear that all the time, right? We walk around as Christians and we hear sermons and and we hear preachers preach, and then we still walk out of the church and say, I'm not going to let it go. Because that bitterness or that resentment or 
that feeling, that emotion that I have gives me power and it gives me power to punish right. the other person. But I'm going to keep that silently because that's my little gift to myself, you know, but I'm going to tell you one day, I, you know, I'm what you call a guy that digs deep into scripture and uh, pe- I mean, I just, I go nuts with it. I, my friends go, man, you are, you've been the same since I've met you. And I said, what? I want to be like Paul, where they say, you've gone mad. You've gone mad with this learning. You got mad with this love. Like, do you hear what you're saying? And God is, when he saved me, I was a very confused young child, but I knew, you know, and I always used to plead with him, just help me. Sometimes Dorsey, our strongest prayer is the word to help. I'm in need. Amen. I don't know how to do this anymore. And sometimes as men, we're too too stubborn, we're too, you know, too strong-headed to ask ask for the help. And, you know, so, and and I I knew you have a lot of questions, but I'll just round the, uh, you know, round the curve and I'll kind of tell you this, what I learned in life. I came to a point where there was a roadblock in the way with, uh, you know, in my relationship with God. And, you know, I used to sit and say, why? Why is this roadblock here? And I can't even remember the particular scripture, but when I was listening to the word very deeply and intensely, and, you know, I started going into prayer, my heart sank to the depths of my chest and God's gentleness spoke into my soul. And, you know, I I had a, a stream of tears rushing down my face and the Lord said to me in my soul, I mean, so silently, but so loudly is the only way I can explain it. Forgiveness isn't for your father. Forgiveness is for me and you. The reason we haven't moved on in our relationship is because your bitterness will not allow you to connect with me on that deep level. You have to be mine and mine fully, and nothing else is allowed to be in the way of that. So in order to be mine, you have to give everything to me. You have to forgive him and restore him, even if he doesn't want restoration. And you have to let it go because when my son was hanging on the cross and they were screaming to crucify him, he said, Father, forgive them for they not know what they do. And it wasn't a partial or a half forgiveness. He meant it. So was forgiveness harder for you or is it harder for my son? Well, you know what, Lord? Thank you for that revelation. And I'm going to tell you the truth. When I let it go at that moment. For years, I held on to it. But when I truly understood what his forgiveness was about and let it go at that moment, and I know people say this, and it's kind of might be a cliche, but everything was removed from me, supernaturally. It was the only way I could describe it. And I think at that moment in my life, the process and the journey really became clear, relevant, consistent, and God empowered me for ministry because after that moment, many things subsequently happened in my life. Amen. Now, going back to for a minute to what you were talking about earlier with, you know, being, you know, in drugs and, and alcohol and everything. Were you going to church at that time as well? Or did you go to church and find Christ? You know, uh, at that particular time, as far as I can recall, I wasn't really in church. I remember, uh, you know, to be totally transparent with you, Dorsey, you know, that's why I tell people, I say, you know, when you're saved, you're not automatically cleaned up. I mean, that's the starting process. You know, if you think you're going to wake up and everything's fine, that's not how it works. There's something called 
regeneration, which, you know, you're born again, which uh, Nicodemus had the conversation with Jesus, you know, and, you know, Christ says you got to be born of, of, you know, the water and the spirit. You're going to have your physical birth and you're going to have your spiritual birth. I mean, I always described it. We're like we're like the walking dead before we're saved. You know, we're roaming around like a bunch of zombies, Dorsey, and we're just existing. You know, and when we have the love of Jesus and he brings us back to life, our will is no longer in bondage because our will is bound to the will of Christ. And then we're free in all reality. So as I got saved and accepted Christ, no, I wasn't going to church at that time. And I was a severe drug addict at 13 years old. And I was still trying to find my way. I remember Dorsey at a, right around 18 years old, which is the last time I ever touched a narcotic. And this is a miracle right here because not everybody gets um, relieved like I did. Not everybody gets a miracle and broken from bondage like I do. I remember I left the gang member's house and we stayed up doing drugs all night, um, like downers, uppers, narcotics. And I was walking home, you know, I'll be totally honest. Like I was smoking a crack pipe at 18 years old. And as I'm walking home doing it, I'm crying. I'm crying. I have tears running down my face. My family thought I was dead. I disappeared for about two weeks. Uh, they probably, I don't even know if they had a missing report on me or not. My mom was sitting home crying and everybody goes, there's two options for Josh. He's going to be dead. He's going to be uh, either, he's going to be in prison or he's going to die. And my family come to find out they were all praying for me, certain people in my family massively. So as I'm sitting, I'm walking home and it was, you know, right around 67th Avenue in Bethany over here in Arizona. And I'm crying. And I said this prayer, Lord, I cannot get off of this. I don't have the power. Satan has me in his grips. I'm in his midst. He got my mind. And I, and I know if you don't rescue me, I'm going to die. That's it. And because uh, I had friends that overdosed and died, you know, and when I say this stuff gets a hold of you and the enemy gets a hold of your mind and you're no longer yourself, you're not. True story. And as I woke up that day when I was 18 years old, Dorsey, the chains were broken. And that's the last time I did a drug. And I'm 41 years old right now. And the chains fell off. Amen. And he granted me that request. And the, I look back and I say, I know why he granted that request. Well, why? Because you're special, because you're this, because you're that. Well, we're all special in his eyes. You know, we're his children. We're children of God. He adopted us into his family. But secondarily, I can look back and said, he had a mission for me. He had a purpose for me. So when people say, Pastor Joshua, what is your life's purpose? Well, simple. It's to preach the gospel. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. There's there's nothing. Yeah, I'm a father. I'm a husband. But even in the role of a father and husband, my I have to minister to my wife and kids, and I'm an ambassador of Jesus. And I'm a leader as a family in my community, in my families, and my friendships. So everything I do is to boast in Jesus Christ and what he'd done for me. And even in our silence, we can proclaim, proclaim the gospel more loudly than sometimes in words, Dorsey. That is why I was redeemed. That is why I was saved. And that's why he came and found me. He did whatever it would, what he was willing to do, whatever, whatever was necessary to come pull me out of that situation to no power of my own on any level. And I'm in love with Christ. I'm in, I'm, I'm in love with God. I Every time I walk out of this house, I can't shut my mouth about him. I have to say something. 
You know, I have to tell my friends, I know you probably want to hit me across the face with some and knock me out. You know, and I said, you know, one one of my friends did go, man, I know all I talk about is Jesus Christ. But I'm like, as Christians, what a beautiful thing to be involved in God's plan. People are in darkness and they're drowning and they're losing their life to the enemy. And God says, hey, I don't need you. And I didn't create you. I didn't create you because I needed you. But I created you because I love you. And guess what? That's not where it stops after the fall. I have a plan to use you in my plan of redemption. That's the most beautiful. Guess what? Whether you're a dig ditcher, a gardener, a garbage man, a doctor, a lawyer. God says, I don't care about your class. I don't care about your pay. I don't care about your ethnic background. I have a plan to use you within my kingdom. We're all important. And into the world, we're really not. To him, we are. That's what keeps me going every single day of my life. He's beautiful. Yes, he is. What are some of the trials? You talked about some of the trials that you've been through already. And what are some of the ones that you faced while you have been preaching? Well, I'm going to tell you kind of what I faced and what I have to learn, Dorsey, is you know, I back in the day when I was a young man, I the Bible beat people. I mean, if, if you were going to argue somebody philosophically into heaven, it was going to be me. I was that guy. <laughs> you know, I was that guy on Mars Hill saying, but I was doing it the opposite of Paul, you know, the Areopagus. No, I'm going to argue into the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, I got so much resistance. I hurt some people's feelings and it was antithetical uh, and it worked against everything with the Bible taught. So one of the first things that, you know, I had to learn is, hey, Josh, you know, when in my prayer life, when God spoke to me and, you know, he spoke to me, he always speaks to me in his silence. I, he just overpowers me with his love and I just get it. I get answers to my prayer. And I was like, it's not about you. So the, one of the biggest challenges was just preach my word, you know, plant the seed. Okay. Somebody else will water it. And I yield the increase, not you, right? So guess what? Right. I wanted to be the farmer that planted the seed, that tilled the soil, planted the seed and, and, and raised the crops. And, you know, I was full of fire as a young man without much wisdom. And, you know, I was getting ahead of myself trying to fill these spiritual boots. And God said, no, I'm going to yield the increase. You have to learn, you know, and when I, what I've learned is one of the trials I had was you could push people away from the Lord by walking in thinking you know it all and you can work against them even as a christian and even in ministry and another trial that i had is you know you know i i love augustine i love you know you know you know john uh, jonathan edwards uh, calvin um zwingli i mean i read a lot of these authors spurgeon and you know i'm sitting there and i'm getting all this data collecting all this data and i got a lot of head knowledge so i'm like hey i'm going to go up there and and I'm going to be this pastor speaking this word. And when I was younger, um, I said, you know, that's going to be me. But that's the wrong idea, which God taught me something through a word, through a person. Okay. And this is a real fascinating story. So fast forwarding a little bit, you know, God's teaching me. He's bringing some men around me. They're coming around me, telling me they love me. They're taking me through my failures, telling me about their failures, being vulnerable with me. You know, and I'm like, where is this coming from? You know, you know, this is amazing. But I've learned that they've come under the reins of Jesus Christ. So they had no problem doing that with me. So as time goes on, I enter a church that, you know, I'm currently ordained at. 
And, um, you know, we had a talk and they said, we're going to send you somewhere. Okay. And I said, okay, where you, you know, where are you going to send me? They interviewed me before they ordained me, went through this big old process. I said, we're going to send you to a place where the forgotten is about, where people are forgotten about. They don't get the gospel and the ministry is not existent. And I said, well, where is that? They go, we're going to send you to pastor and look over elderly homes, assisted living. And we're going to send you to dementia and cognitive centers. And you're going to go preach the gospel. And you're going to preach the gospel to people in a catatonic state and people that never leave the place, you know? And I said, well, wow. I said, okay, I'm, I'm really going to have to have the power of God to do that. Right. (laughs) How am I going to do that? You know, like really? And I'll tell you what, Dorsey, they're the toughest crowd you'll meet in your life. Cause these, these people have been in church their whole life. You know, and a lot of them are highly upset because they end up in this home. They feel like people's left them there. The church isn't coming to them. And the, um, you know, and certain people abandon them. And they're really educated in the gospel. Some some of the most educated because, you know, they're in their 60s, 70s, 80s. They grew up. So I said, okay, you know, you got yourself a deal. Let's do it. Like, okay. So they said, we'll call you when we need you. I said, okay, this is going to be interesting. So I'm like, ah, whatever. We'll see when they get to me. Right. So I get a call one day. Hey, Josh. You're going to, you're going to go to this, you know, nursing facility, you know, in Peoria, Arizona. And I said, okay. And I said, you know, that's fine with me. And I said, well, what is the deal with this one? And they go, well, we're calling you because they sent a priest there from the Catholic church. Okay. And we had two issues and they, we sent a pastor from a church and there we, so they went and true story, I'm being totally real here. So they went and they went in there and they they had a church service on Sunday and saw that like one or two people were there. So the director of these facilities called the church that I intend because the two individuals, the pastor and the priest says, there's not enough people and I'm not coming back if there's not a big enough crowd. That was their response, Dorsey. Mm-hmm. And they go, so if there's one person there, what are you going to do? I said, simple. I'll travel 200 miles. Because maybe God wants that one person to hear the gospel. So I'm not really anything. Uh, if it's one person and if God allows me to take part in the transformation of somebody's life, or even if they're saved to letting them know that I love them and care about them, then it doesn't matter. So before COVID hit and all these restrictions hit, I was doing that for four years. And I would walk in there and, you know, I had this guy, Jerry, great friend of mine, love him to death. He, right, he, first time I met him, you know what he said? I don't like you. <laughs> he said, I don't like you, Pastor Joshua. I go, well, why not, Jerry? He goes, you just come in with that big old Bible and think you know everything. I said, well, you haven't even met me yet. He goes, yeah, but I met a lot. I met a lot of people like you and you ain't going to care like any, like everybody else. And when I came in that door, Dorsey, he willed off every single time. He couldn't stand the sight of me, but I kept coming back. I said, Jerry, I'm going to make you a promise. I'm never going to stop coming. I'm going to come as long as they allow me to, Jerry. Why? For you. So we can have fellowship together because you might not know this, Jerry, but I need you probably more than you need me. You know, and I believe that to this day because God taught me a lot. And in due time, within about two weeks, Jerry was sitting right next to me every single Sunday service. But that was how God, that's how God works, you know. And so I had a lot of trials in the sense of, I, you know, I and I'm going to give you an example. It was a word from God 
You know, and I'm always careful when I say that stuff, Dorsey. Like, I am very careful theologically. I don't press the Bible beyond its limits as far as what God said in the past and what he reveals now. You know, I got very responsible with this book. And so I had a lady walk up one day, you know, to me, and they had a church service. It was called Paseo. And there was probably about 50 people waiting on a Sunday. And when I walked in, the guy says, are you the janitor or the maintenance man? I said, yeah, I do clean up messes and I do repair things. <laughs> right. So, uh, so I walked in there and we had a church service and this lady walks up to me, Dorsey, and says the most fascinating thing anybody's ever said to me, didn't even know her. She says, come to the side here. I want to talk to you because there was family there with the elderly because uh, it was a resurrection Sunday service. And it was, just a, it's just something they threw. They surprised me with, and it really touched my soul because as being a minister of God, it just really meant something to me. And she goes, you want to be famous in the eyes of men, don't you? You want a fancy suit and you want to be on TV. And you want a church building all to yourself to preach from. And that's why you introduced me as a parapastor. And she goes, I want to tell you a word from the Lord that he pressed upon my heart when you walked in. This is his church. Every time you walk out the house, that is his church. I know that that the building is church, and I'm not denying that, but the harvest is everywhere. So do you understand, Josh, that you wanted A, B, C, and D, but this is God's people, and you're where you're supposed to be at, and everything else you think of, get it out of your mind. And, you know, she walked away, and I was just like, wow, because that little thing, Dorsey, was in my heart, you know, and I always tell people, if there's a sin in your heart, if you strayed, what's so bad about admitting it? What's so bad about falling in the arms of God saying, like John teaches us, ask for forgiveness every morning for his mercies are new and he, and he will forgive us, right? Like God's mercies are new every morning and he'll forgive us if we ask. So I learned a valuable lesson that don't hide anything in my heart when it comes to God. And if it needs to be fixed, please fix it. And I think a lot of times in my trials with ministering the gospel is people get their sensibilities highly offended. And when you try to talk to them about forgiveness and exposing things to God, not particularly in front of me, people's, you know, they get a misconception of what dignity and integrity is because we're talking on a spiritual level. And they say, well, no, not me. I'm not like that. There's no way. Like, there's no way I can think like that and do these things and this and that. And I was challenging a friend today. We were talking about sin and he revealed a particular sin. And I said, what is so bad about confessing sin to God and learning from the experience? It sets us free. So two things, struggles that I had is I had this grandiose idea about myself and I got put in my place by a woman at, at a, a, a assisted living facility and I thought that I could philosophically and theologically argue somebody into the kingdom of heaven. Well, people are resistant. And the third trial I had is when I came home ordained, who, Josh? He's ordained, that guy? <laughs> you know, that guy I grew up with? Like, he's the last guy God's going to call. So I got a lot of criticism and probably, you know, a lot of warranted criticism from the way I grew up and the things I went through. But isn't it amazing and fascinating that God doesn't call us by our, 
our exterior and what we look like, you know, and Josh had all these tattoos running around with gangs in the past and, and on drugs. And God didn't look at me and say, I can't use him. God says, like me and you, Dorsey, we're the same. And God says, I'm going to use you guys, you know, and I was an outcast and a misfit in society, <laughs> you know, and, you know, God gave me the gift to speak and give me the, the, the hunger and desire to preach the word and this insatiable appetite to learn his word. And uh, some days I, I, I wake up and look in the mirror and I say, you chose me, this guy, you know what, God, if I were you, I wouldn't have chose me. <laughs> I'm the last guy I would have chose, you know? So, and I guess, you know, and I had a lot of roadblocks and, and I guess just trying to make headway and because uh, people, there's something about people. They watch if you're authentic. People watch you all day long. And, you know, and when you're a Christian, you get a lot of criticism. You get a lot of criticism. Um, you know, I had a good friend that watched me for years, Dorsey, and ministering. And he says, nobody's ever disagreed with you. And they walked away confused saying, man, this guy's nuts. I don't find any fault in his in his argument about Jesus and God's love. But, man, the guy's crazy about it. You know, so. I tell people, we're not supposed to be know-it-alls. If you, a lot of times our message and our best thesis is just tell somebody how Jesus changed your life. That's all you got to do. Mm-hmm. Tell them what he did. <clears throat> you know, and people, they won't block that out. You know, a lot of people will block out. Uh, and I always said, you know, now I understand, you know, the, you know let, let's face it. Uh, Christ chose fishermen. He chose the uneducated in a sense. And he took them under his tutelage and he trained them and they got the greatest education in the world, Jesus himself, right? But he didn't say, hey, you, you know, you own your own business. Hey, you meet was a tax collector that was robbing everybody blind. You know, Matthew, people couldn't stand him. Why are you eating with this guy? You know, Peter, he had a bad temper. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, Thomas, doubting Thomas, you know, Judas. I mean, he, he knew what Judas was going to do. I'm still going to give you an opportunity. You could be my purse handler. You're going to be in charge of the treasury. How we're all going to survive. You know, so it's like I try to tell people, Dorsey, one of my biggest challenges now that I'm going to say this to you is with Christians. It's not with non-believers. And I'm going to tell you why. Because statistically, about 90% of people that are born in the church, raised in the church, married in the church, have their have their family in the church, never even tell their next door neighbor about Jesus Christ. And I have to tell friends, I know I sound judgmental and you probably think I'm mean, but I say, why not? Why? I mean, you have the greatest gift ever given to men, to women, to children. You have the ability to change somebody's life. If God has that ability through you to release them of their bondage, for life. And all you have to do is say, I do God, because when we reject telling so telling people about Jesus, believe it or not, it's an act of disobedience in a crisis of faith. We don't take a lamp and put it under a basket. We stand on the hill and we proclaim God's love to the nations, to our neighbors. So the hardest problem that I've had to this day is when I tell Christians, you're an evangelist. You're a preacher. You're a theologian. Who, me? 
I didn't go to Bible school. I didn't go to seminary. I'm not going for a master's and a PhD. I said, your best thesis, your master thesis, pull that person aside and tell them what God did in your life. They don't need a master's or a PhD. You know, Peter didn't have one. None of these, none of the disciples had it. You know, Paul, brilliant. He's the exception of the rule. God saved them based off his ignorance. Look what kind of trouble that got Paul into. I mean, he was hunting people down, throwing them in prison, getting them persecuted. And he did love God, but all that knowledge went to his head at the same time until God blinded him for three days and said, Paul, Paul, it's time to wake up. I love you. And why are you persecuting me? And that's all it took for him. Right. Where do you see yourself in 20 years? That's a fascinating question, Dorsey, because, you know, I can go on a tangent about that. But I'm going to tell you that basically the simplistic uh, answer to that. Let's just say, okay, Pastor Josh, where are you in 20 years? Where I'm at now? Well, well, what does that mean? That's a crazy answer, right? (laughs) I see myself just telling people about Jesus. That's it. Telling people about the gospel. I don't know how many people God, I do not know how many people God wants to reach through me. I don't know everything he has in store for me, but I just want to be humble. And I just see myself telling people about Jesus. And, you know, I got, you know, I got a podcast going. I'm writing a book right now. There's some other, there's some things that I'm doing. Um, and, but the, the fact of the matter is none of that, it, none of that means anything to me if it's not just preaching the word and doing his will. I never want to get ahead of myself. I never want to get a big head because then he can't use me anymore. So one of my prayers that I pray on a daily basis is, God, do whatever it takes to humble me, even if I have to suffer somewhat. And I know in westernized culture, Dorsey, we have a hard time dealing with the word suffering. But suffering is the chisel in God's hand that he uses to shape us. And I learned from a young age that suffering was a very good thing for me. It is the tool that God opened up my heart with when it was closed in a still box. So between me and you, I have a vision. And my vision is to proclaim the gospel to every single person that will listen to it. And let God and apply myself diligently and let God yield the increase, whatever that means. And that right there is a mystery. See, biblically, I try to tell people prayer is a mystery. I says, uh, predestination's a mystery. My walk with God is shrouded in mystery. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the things that belong to God are his. The things he reveals to us, we get to keep. So salvation's a mystery. Hey, Pastor Josh, tell me exactly how it works. I don't stand in the council of God. I'm not as an Emily courtroom. I'm sorry, I can't tell you that. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't got insight to that, but I can tell you, that the mystery of the gospel and the way that God works, once that you release control and understand that you can't do it and he's the sovereign God, omnipotent God, omniscient God, it's the most beautiful releasing thing a Christian can experience in their life. Because you know what you say after that, Dorsey? I don't need to control everything. And I'm okay with that. And so I guess my biggest challenge is helping Christians understand the true nature and holiness of God and their part as a Christian in his beautiful story, uh, you know, his kingdoms amongst us, but before he returns, how that unfolds and how we are all going to be used. 
And so what I've noticed is a lot of people say, well, I'm scared. You know, I have fear. I just talked to one of my buddies that I love more than anything at work. And he says, uh, you know, I just, I just can't do it. You know, his name's Jim. And I says, Jim, I said, can we get to the root of the issue? I, he goes, well, I could just imagine that you making that statement. And he goes, but go ahead. I says, you're telling me you fear what God has in store for you. Because when you act out in faith and step out in faith, there's a lot of responsibility attached to that. Correct. And he says, you know, all them years, you nailed it. I'm scared what he has for me, what he has in store for me and the responsibility of shepherding his people to whatever degree that is in my personal life. And I said, Jim, that's a crisis of faith. You know, and he goes, you're right. It's a crisis of faith. I go step out into it and embrace it, brother. It's the greatest thing you'll ever feel. It's the greatest thing you'll ever know. When God empowers us with the Holy Spirit, Dorsey, and we really start connecting with them, I understand there's mental issues. I understand there's psychological issues and chemical imbalances and everything else. But there is God gives you joy with through the Holy Spirit. And that can't come from a car. It can't come from a house. It can't come from a wife. And it can't come from your life. And it can't come from a husband. I try to tell a lot of people, Dorsey, do you, do you understand that marriage isn't about your spouse? What? Are you crazy? No, marriage is about God. It's about both of you coming together in union and glorifying him. And through that glorification process of you both extolling your praises to him and glorifying him, you grow closer to each other and love each other even more. And God teaches you how to live within a marriage, how the husband is supposed to love his wife. And, you know, he only tells the woman to agape love her husband. Uh, her uh, uh, the man to agape love his wife. He doesn't say his wife, go love your husband. He only tells the wife to respect your husband because it's not built in us to that degree. And me and my wife sat down and talked about it yesterday. And I go, God's design for our marriage is to worship him. You know, Dorsey, there's only one self-centered person that there's allowed to be in this universe. And it's God. What do you mean, Pastor Joshua? Everything revolves around him. He created us to worship him. Why? Because he deserves it. And he chooses to. And I'm okay with that because he's perfect. You know, so I think that the westernized culture, Hollywood, movies, TV, and different things have us romanticize our own psychology on Christ. And I spend my life trying to pull people out of a 21st century culture and say, can I tell you about the real Jesus? Can I tell you what he has in store for you? Can I tell you that suffering is good for you in a lot of cases? That loss is a great thing? That in order to gain your life, you have to lose it? Those that wish to uh, um, gain their life, they end up losing it at the end, ultimately. Think about what Christ said, Dorsey. you gotta, you got to hate your father, hate your mother, basically uh, get rid of your family. He when you go back in Hebrew and Greek, he didn't mean hate. He said, what that means is I'm more important at this time. The gospel is upon you. I'm more important. Right. Like you go to the military. What does the drill sergeant say? I own you. Right? I own you. You're mine. You're going to boot camp. You're mine. You have to move when I tell you to move. You have to go where I tell you to go. You got to do what I tell you to do. I mean, you're galvanized still in a sense. And Christ is saying, I have work for you to do. 
yes, you love your mother and you, yes, you love your father, but you love them less than me. I'm more important. And some people look at me and go, man, that's, that's pretty tough to swallow, Pastor Josh. Like that's hardcore stuff you're preaching. I said, well, don't take it up with me. I didn't write the gospel. (laughs) 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 You know, so I just, I love the Lord. That's all I can say. How do you think we hear uh, hear God in our personal walk? You know, there's him? a lot of different ways, and like I said, uh, like in America, we have you know you know two three Bibles in every household, and God can communicate you know based off Acts, and He puts us within our specific borders and our times, so we can reach out to Him because He's not far from any of us. So depending on where you're at and where He chose to put you at in your birthplace, uh, I believe God speaks to people differently. And I'll give I'll kind of give you a word. I believe sometimes when there's a massive change in history and persecution, God's revelation, probably in certain circumstances, is going to be more deeper as far as his profound words to a specific individual when he wants to change history, when he wants to change time. Like if I'm sitting here driving a 2021 Cadillac around and got $200,000 in my bank account, which I don't, and I'm living on the house of the hill, you know, it's kind of like, it's different for somebody in the Middle East. Like, I'll give you an example. You have, like, uh, you know, the Afghanistan situation. There's 10,000, 15,000 Christians right now that converted from Islam. If they find out, they'll pull you out of your house and terminate you and your whole family. 70 to 80% of all Christians in the world are being persecuted right now for his name. So I even tell an American, getting your power shut off isn't the same as persecution. You know, there are people that are losing their right. life. <laughs> holding on to the name of Christ. You know, so we really have to understand. So when it comes to prayer, I believe one of the most important things to do is to withdraw yourself from the noise, from the calamity, from the opinions, from the gossip, from the slander, from the TV, from the Netflix, from the world, and spend a long time with the Lord. We live in a society that we don't do that. If we don't stay busy, we go crazy. You know, the Bible says that there was an earthquake and, you know, and there was a big storm. I think it was Elijah. Matter of fact, somebody might actually correct me. I got a lot of things going through my head. But he said, God says, I'm in the quietness. I'm in the quietness. I'm in the whisper. So the Bible teaches us that God is in the whisper. And what God is saying is there's nothing to fear. I'm a gentle compassionate, loving God. If you stay quiet enough, you can hear me. So I think that a lot of our spiritual personal lives are we do all the exterior things. We go and we sit in church on Sunday. You know, we'll read our Bible and it becomes modalistic. It becomes a chore. And I know this because I've talked to thousands of people and I ask them things. Do you really know what God has in store for you? Where's your journey at? What does he say in your prayer life? You know, and a lot of people say, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know, and so I ask them, I've asked a lot of Christians this. Do you, are you deeply in love with God? And is it a thought process? Do you have to think about it? Or do you wake up on a daily basis deeply in love with him? I believe, Dorsey, once you're saved and regenerated and you know God on a personal level, you can't get away from it. It consumes you. You know, so I, you know, and I'm not being judgmental, 
but I do, you know, at the end times, when the book of life is open, when we're standing in front of the creator, God, when Jesus is there as our defender or not our defender, and we're in the heavenly courtroom on judgment day, God's going to examine fruit. He really is. He's going to examine our lives. And people say, well, Pastor Josh, how is that exactly going to go? I said, I don't know. <laughs> it's a mystery. <laughs> but the Bible tells us it's going to happen. People are going to be eternally condemned or eternally rewarded. You know, so I don't want I don't want to stand there with empty grocery bags on Judgment Day, Dorsey. You know, so you say, what is your vision in 20 years? Like, I got to move. I got things I got to do. I got to tell my next door neighbor. I got people I got to reach. I don't know who, but I got, I got, I got to make things. God's using me. I got to tell people about Jesus Christ, you know? So um, that's just kind of the, you know, what I wanted to reveal to you. So I tell the people prayer, praise, and proclamation are the three P's time, talent, and treasure. Have a deep prayer life. Withdraw yourself. Praise him. Day, on a daily basis when you talk to him, when you sing to him in church or out of church, proclaim his message. Be available. Give him the time. Let him use your talents. Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Give him your treasure. I call him the three P's and the three T's. <laughs> right? If you, God is saying, if you do these things, you don't have to ask, ask a whole lot of questions. You know? I'm going to take care of you. Like once we get in a deep relationship and you make me your number one, you're not going to walk around confused. You're going to be whole, you know? And even though me and you wait to be fully glorified at the end, for now we look in a dimly lit mirror, but at the end we will know, know what? We're going to know him personally one-on-one and know who we are in our glorified state with the same body Jesus Christ had. What a promise. You know, Dorsey, and I'll say this, this is, this is what I want to challenge everybody listening to this show. And cause I'm just, I'm just machine gun in truth right now. I, I just don't care. You know, I mean, if they know Pastor Joshua, they know I'm going to, I'm going to say, say what the gospel says. So, you know, I, I asked a person this in my life when they were debating me about God and his existence and, you know, they believed in spontaneous generation and, evolution. And we went through all of this stuff, you know, humanism. And I said, how do you wake up every day with no purpose? I'm not trying to be mean, but you wake up every day of your life and you're it. Um, if there is, if there's no God, how is there justice? How are the, how are all the rights wronged? I remember I challenged a man and not in the midst of a funeral, but I asked him a question. I said, if somebody died, in your family, and you're at the funeral, would you cry? And he goes, well, yes. I go, why? What do you mean why? I go, because it's a loss. I said, says who? If if there is no God, Dorsey, we are a cosmological mistake, the cruelest thing in the universe, writing the laws of entropy, waiting for oblivion to take us back into darkness with no purpose. A flower has no meaning. A life of a child has no meaning. A loss of a family member has no meaning. It's the cruelest joke evolution's ever played. And we're all just puppets 
in the theater of it. So I do tell people, if there is no God, how do you wake up every day knowing this is it? It's the most depressing thing out there, right? There's no plan. There's no, you know, there's nothing. So, you know, I know I talk a lot. I appreciate you got a lot of questions. I'll let you go, take it. And, you know, I just, this is, these are important issues. Yeah, definitely. Well, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I greatly uh, appreciate having you. And if there's one last thing that you want to say, please I'll say take this it away. to everybody is I do love my unseen Christian brothers and sisters. You know, I love you, Dorsey. I have a very deep love for my brothers and sisters. They They just mean everything to me. And I want to let everybody know that even though I don't know you by name, my prayers go out with all of you, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're suffering with. Um, I pray for you all the time, Dorsey. And, you know, I do have a podcast called The Saints Will Overcome with Pastor Joshua Capilla. And you're going to get doses of truth in there. And sometimes you're going to be like, I just want to shut this off. You know, the guy's on one, you know, but, but you know, feel free to <laughs> tune in. You know, and Dorsey, thank you so much as my Christian brother for extending this opportunity. And I super highly appreciate you. Thank you for what you do, your desire for God. You're rare in my eyes, and I appreciate you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And I guess we can close it out at that. Yes. Guys, thank you again for, you know, coming on and listening today. And I hope you enjoyed it. Please like, share, and uh, until next time, have a great night. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you again for joining Dorsey Ross on this episode of The Dorsey Ross Show. Please like, share, and tell others about the show. Also, please check out the other podcast episodes. And if you would like, donate to this podcast and buy Dorsey a coffee. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.